my friends. The great experiment. Down on the Lord. Thanks. Thanks. Hidden. Trink. Trink. Would you look at that? The greatest trink. Trink. And you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star. Trink. Trink. The greatest trink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I feel like if we talked about the tour on our mainline Star Trek podcast, the the hit podcast, The Greatest Generation, it might be too late. Feels (laughs) like tour updates should be happening right now on Greatest Trek. Yeah, we tend to be a little bit more on top of schedule with Greatest Trek, and especially when we get toward the end of a season, because for some reason the policy seems to be send out all the screeners but the last one or two. So we're recording this the week it comes out, right? Yeah, we just got back from Austin and St. Louis. We did. Austin, we'd we'd done shows in many times. St. Louis, a brand new city for me. If I were to have like the mental map of the continental United States with all the little uh, pin flags in them. Oh, yeah. You just added one. New pin for me. (laughs) Hey, that's great. Pretty exciting. I really like St. Louis. I did too. I didn't know... I mean, I expected it to be uh, not as uniquely St. Louis as I found it. Like, I loved getting there and going straight to the arch. Yeah. I was blown away by this arch, Ben. Yeah, the arch is cool. It felt like being near the monolith in 2001. It felt (laughs) really spooky and, like, inhabited by something not architectural. Like, it, it felt like a real living monument. We went at night to the arch Mm -hmm. and we were the only people around there were a couple of other people like there in the park but they were like kind of far away and there was not really any ambient lighting in the park so they were just shadows kind of moving past us you know that's a good detail to bring up because like you know many parks in these united states have sadly turned into fuck park (laughs) <laughs> or or drug park or I'm, I'm living outside park mm-hmm. and that's just like the reality for for so many places this park almost totally deserted you say fuck park like that's a bad thing like weren't you surprised at how how completely empty it was yeah not a single opportunity for cruising presented itself that's what made it the scariest of all of those parks <laughs> wasn't expecting that it was quiet a little too quiet i mean it was there were like definitely grates where it seemed like there were really big powerful lights that could be turned on to light up the arch from underneath when god weren't you just looking into these the way i was i could have gotten blown away by oh yeah by a poorly timed light switch (laughs) would be bad um yeah i I definitely stared down the barrel uh, a couple of times but uh yeah our shows uh in both cities i thought i had a ton of fun of i i tried ambrosia salad for the first time ever in st louis you did with the signature provel cheese on top there was a moment on a show where you admitted recently that you had never had this salad before and eagle-eared fod's made that fantasy a reality (laughs) I've long said it's the most dangerous thing you can do as a podcaster is is eat something made yeah. by a viewer. And we've done it time and time again. We'll never learn. No. I mean, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't be bragging about that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll let it encourage some, some, you know, devilish glitter sender to do something horrible to us. Really, uh, it seemed like you had a great time with this ambrosia salad. Made two ways. Yeah, it was good. Um, <laughs> didn't pair super well with my tequila soda that I was drinking at the time, but uh, I'm shocked by that. I feel like tequila soda matches with everything. Yeah. Well, then we went to Austin, Texas, where they were having the Formula One weekend, and we did not get the memo that you were required to wear a Ferrari baseball hat. When walking around downtown Austin. So we were kind of underdressed for the occasion. If you're keeping track of whether or not our booking agent and friend hates us, <laughs> this might be a check in the column of maybe hate. 
Yeah, no kidding. Austin, a a city I I usually love, and this didn't change my opinion of Austin. It was just totally fucked out with people. People were everywhere. The hotel rates, astronomical. We might have taken a loss on that show just because of how expensive it was to be there. Yeah, and then we found out after the show that the venue that we played has a elevator that goes right up to the guest floors in the hotel above it, which is not true. I mean, we were on the same block in a different hotel, so we couldn't take advantage of that. Yeah. I wanted to walk out of the green room onto the elevator and into my hotel room. That would have been great. I've never been into like a a prepper bunker or whatever, but it seemed like that kind of geography. Like, (laughs) go ahead and get into the elevator from your hotel room and go right down into the venue. Yeah. God, that would be so cool. It would be very cool. That venue, one of my favorites over the years. Yeah. And will be closed for a while. I don't think we're saying the news out of turn, but they're going to do a big remodel and and we're not going to be able to do a show there for many years. At least that's what they told us at the time. This yeah. might just be one of those things where uh, you go out on a date with a person and they're like, yeah, the thing is I'm a... Uh, I'm studying abroad for like three years. So this has been fun and everything, but I can no longer date you. (laughs) They're just counting on us not going to Austin and checking in on things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Depending on uh, how our booking agent and friend is feeling about us at the time, they may be right about it. It's definitely possible. Well, it has been such a fun tour. We got five more shows left this yeah. year, and they're coming up. We got Seattle, Salt Lake, Denver, Portland, and Los Angeles, California. Yeah. Keeping it on our side of the Mississippi. Yeah. I guess both Austin and St. Louis are on this side of the Mississippi, right? Oh, yeah. Well, St. Louis is on the Mississippi. I think we may have been on the other side of the Mississippi. When... No, it's St. Louis is on the left of it. That's our side. I thought it was the gateway to the West. Yeah, but you got to cross the Mississippi Uh, to make it. Why aren't there more gateways, by the way? It seems like these arches should be all over the place. Yeah, anytime somebody has has, uh, (laughs) manifest destinied somewhere, there should be a gateway (laughs) erected in honor of that, you know? It seems like manifest destinying should have happened way more often in way more places. Yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, name one bad thing that ever came of that. Sometimes, uh, when I when I was in college, I would put an arch over the the doorknob to make it clear <laughs> that I was manifest destinying inside. <laughs> I'm sure your roommates appreciated that little warning. Yeah. Do you want to uh, get into the episode today, Adam? Sure do, Ben. The penultimate episode of season four of Star Trek Lower Decks. Season four, episode nine. It's called The Inner Fight. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. I'm not afraid of a little combat. Written by Mike McMahon. You just know the title like that, that uh, somebody's going to whip out a flute and start playing it, right? (laughs) Yeah, you do expect a character to live an entirely other life on another planet. Yeah. Get married, have kids, Mm -hmm. witness the the birth of a space program. (laughs) Very disappointed (laughs) that none of that happens in this episode. And that's the end of this episode. We're not even going to review it. We're so pissed. (laughs) The cold open, if you got the screeners, was 30 seconds of bars and tone. I love a classic bars and tone scene. Oh, man. I... I've only ever delivered one project that needed to be prepped for airing on television. So at any other time I put bars and tone on anything I ever made, it was like total like jacking off. Like I, I'm, I'm making this feel more official than it actually is kind of shit. I like jacking off the bars and tone. Yeah. I think that's nice. I think that's a good move. You know what my move was with bars and tone is I would, uh, I would snip the tone into a five count. Oh, so it would go boop, 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 (laughs) boop, and then we're in. Oh, that's great. The actual cold open that you will have seen if you watched this on television is these outpost scientists on uh, Parasoft 9. 
They're fascinated with the venomous tremble lizards of Parasoft 9. They are my passion. The Lower Deckers are there helping them uh, shore up their electronic frontier. This place does have an electronic frontier, Adam. It's like Jurassic Park, but for littles. <laughs> you know, like they need the giant fence. They need it to hold. Mm -hmm. They view these bugs as, as dangerous, as dangerous as dinosaurs, but they feel safe behind this fence. They're like as dangerous as dinosaurs, and yet they kind of have like alien xenomorph qualities. Yeah. They're also smart because they attack the power distribution for the fence. Yeah. Fence goes down about as quickly as it is established that these guys are extremely deadly and, and terrifying. And once again, throwing caution to the wind, Mariner runs out. She's not even wearing her anti-venom pants. At least the pants! I love that there's like kind of a trope for get the attention of the dangerous animal. Mm -hmm. And so often that is a baking sheet and like metal spoon or whatever. <laughs> yeah. In this case, it does seem like a baking sheet, but it's also the tool that Mariner's going to use to fix the problem with the fence. Yeah, and the baking sheet goes down pretty quickly. It, mm -hmm. it melts uh, due to the acid that these guys spit. Mariner completes a death-defying repair of the broken fence and like jumps back through just before it erects itself. Lucky fence. She's solved the problem. But uh, when she comes back in, she's like, oh, something on my back. I think I got some goo on me. And she turns around. Ah! Venomous tremble lizard! Ben, important season four Lower Decks question for you. It's a gambling question also. Mm. You ready? Oh, okay. Am I being invited to put money on something? You're putting a quarter into the arcade game Lower Decks Fighter 2. <laughs> huh? On the character screen, there are two options for you. Oh, okay. okay. One, Venomous Tremble Lizard. Okay. Two... Moopsie. <laughs> Who's your fighter? I always played Dalsim because I liked having a ranged attack. So yeah. I think I'm going Venomous Tremble Lizard because the acid spits. Yeah, I think Venomous Tremble Lizard probably takes out Moopsie from range. Yeah. And that is that. RSVP Moopsie and I guess RSVP this scientist. I mean, if there's one thing we learned from Event Horizon <laughs> is that... You can live without eyes. Mm -hmm. Where he's going, he doesn't need those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This scientist who refers to having an academic romance with the venomous tremble lizard. Yeah. It appears to be a bad academic romance, wouldn't you say? Mm. <laughs> Somebody has to liberate mayhem. You're shooting poison and popping my eyes. You're a bad academic romance. Whoa, 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 whoa. The voice of an angel. Caught in a bad academic romance. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're a bad academic romance. Ow, 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 ow. Ow, 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 ow. Bloodshot bulging eyes. <laughs> So we catch up with Boimler and Talin. They're uh, ambling down one of the hallways on the Cerritos talking about what a dangerous maniac Mariner has been lately. Yeah, she's been off the rails for weeks. They kind of wander into a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where that seems to be the premise of the meeting. They meet up with Tendi and Rutherford and uh, they've all been summoned there by the captain and some of the other senior staff to talk about the fact that Mariner keeps putting herself in harm's way, and that's no bueno. Did you ever watch McLaughlin Group as much as I did? Like, do you remember the special episodes that were just one issue? Uh, I mean, I watched my fair share of it, unfortunately, due to <laughs> it being slightly more acceptable to watch PBS in my house than any other channel. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a one-issue group here, and the issue's Mariner. Yeah. Why is my daughter trying to get herself killed? Uh, you noticed that too, huh? I don't love this look by Captain Freeman, because she has two angles with which to approach this issue. 
I guess you could argue that she's tried already, both personally and professionally, to get Mariner to act right. But I don't love an authority figure making it a subordinate's problem to solve for daughter. Yeah. It's a bit of a strange position that she's putting the betas in. It's got real uh, executive having their kids sell Girl Scout cookies in the cubicles kind of energy, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do here? I don't want these. I mean, I want Samoas. I don't want anything else, but I'm going to be encouraged to get more than I need, right? You don't want Thin Mints? I think Samoa is the apex cookie. Oh, you're you're dead fucking wrong about that, Mount Frere. The only wrong answer is the is the peanut butter one. What? I think we're I think we're both right. No, but, uh, the peanut butter one is good. Yeah. The wrong answer is the shortbread one. That that one is useless. You were both right, and you were also both wrong. Here's what Girl Scout Cookie Corporation got wrong about that. They did not consider the giant blue circular tin of shortbread cookies that you can get around the holiday season filled with 2,000 of those. And then when you finish them, you can put all your your sewing stuff in there. I know. I love that about those. Yeah. Anyways, they talk about how the mission to Ferenginar was kind of the turning point. And that was like, we, we remember that having been... A big that was like a couple turning points ago. Um, emotional nadir for Mariner, and there the you know Boimler raises the idea of like, what if Doctor Maglimo could help her with whatever she's going through, and Freeman kind of bulldozes over that. No time for therapy. We've got some shit to do. Somebody is targeting X Starfleets. This is like new info from from Fleet Intelligence that. There are a bunch of people that used to be in Starfleet that are now being targeted by whatever force was pulling the strings of the disappearances of all those ships. And a list of uh, ex-Starfleet people is read out. And Nick Locarno is on that list. And that is who the Cerritos is going to go try to find. This list also locates the episode in time, doesn't it? Because by saying Bev Crusher is ex-Starfleet... yeah. You're saying that this is before the events of season three, Star Trek Picard. Yeah. Somewhere in between Nemesis and season three of Star Trek Picard. Which, uh, yeah, is a kind of nerdery that gives me the chills to even know. Not so much a question, really just a comment. I'm going to go dunk my own head in the toilet. Get a light. Love knowing uh, Tom Riker got out of jail, I guess. Yeah, got... G- After the events of Deep Space Nine? Not not in the Maquis anymore, I guess. Maquis? I guess there aren't any Maquis after the Dominion War, so... He went to a federal skin condition prison the way Tom <laughs> Paris did. <laughs> got let out for good behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the greatest trek is yet to come. Nick Licarno, pilot for hire. Checks out, right? Yeah, so uh, they got to go find him, but they don't want the evident danger of that mission tempting Mariner into any bullshit. And so Tendi raises the idea that there's this satellite that sends weather data back to the Federation that has stopped broadcasting. What did you call it? What? It's a bois. Bring it on, Danger Bowie! It's a broken bois. Mm. Yeah, but it's also a satellite. <laughs> we don't have a drop for satellite, though. <laughs> we also don't have one for Danger Bois. <laughs> we do now. Bring it on, Danger Bowie. Yeah, I guess I didn't. I didn't figure on the fact that we do now. That was my mistake. So the betas are going to distract Mariner and keep her safe by taking her on this away mission in a shuttlecraft. She's excited about Girls Trip plus Boimler. I was surprised because it sort of seemed like Rutherford was getting ordered along with, but no, he goes with the captain this time. Yeah. For reasons undisclosed? I guess he'd be too good at fixing the broken bois as a mission. (laughs) Yeah, don't send an engineer. That would make too much sense. 
Exactly. So in the shuttle, they prep for launch and blast off with Mariner being super psyched about what she believes will be another life-threatening mission. But when they get there to Sherball 5, it does not seem that dangerous. It's just them standing outside the shuttle, wrenching on this bois and looking down at the uh, lightning storms on the planet below. And uh, Tendi notices that the comm system of this bois have been tampered with. Yeah, she finds a wooden shoe in there. Hence the word sabotage. Huh. And we cut over to the Klingon bird of prey, and it is revealed in this scene whom did the tampering. Who? Who? Whom? <laughs> whom? Did, you, did you turn into an owl for a second? <laughs> Were you a fucking owl? Back in the Cerritos, we've pulled up to New Axton, and uh, it has one of those cool atmospheric shields and gates for entry. There was so much in this episode that was very specifically Star Wars-y in design, and this really reminded me of the planet at the end of Rouge One that had that planetary shield that they had to go through. But this is New Axton, which uh, has a lot in common with Old Axton, but by Jax's estimation is worse. Like, connected to this gate to New Axton is, like, a shaver... And a toothbrush and uh, all the things you need. Like kind of an entire bathroom mm. in in one compact unit. Wow. It's great. So that's pretty neat. <laughs> What's this button on? Hold on, I'll push that. <laughs> ben, you're right about the Star Warsiness of this scene, but I would argue that there's also some aliensness in it too. There seems to be a, a lot of like compositional choices inspired by other science fiction franchises, like specifically that Sherbel 5 establishing shot with the green glow. Yeah. And specifically the tilt down below the planet into where the satellite Herbois is. I feel like a lot of compositions in the alien universe occur below the planet. Totally. The docking control guy at New Axton looked very like Imperial. Mm-hmm bad guy from Star Wars. Right on down to the accent, yeah? Yeah. Now, why don't you be a good little Starfleet captain and turn that ship around? He's given them a real hard time about parking their ship near New Acton. He wants them to go fuck off to a moon. But meanwhile, this like kind of badass-looking ship comes out of warp and gets to fly right past. And we even uh, see the, uh, the hollow of the pilot of this ship it has got a real like, uh, you know, I'm a bad, I'm a badass motorcycle helmet on, you know, like those motorcycle helmets of guys that like have a little bit more to prove than other motorcycle guys. Right. The scary motorcycle helmet that has like balls hanging from it. <laughs> I love when science fiction shows present a contemporary frustration and that's what this is, right? Right. Like this is real, like. Why do they get to cut the line ahead of me kind of energy? Totally. Freeman, very frustrated with this initial uh, reception, has them turn the ship around and go go back off to the moon. Meanwhile, the bird of prey is decloaking right in front of the shuttle that the betas are on. And uh, this is uh, the Klingons being like really aggressive and shooting first and asking questions later because they get... They get attacked. Like the Klingons are supposed to be friends with the Federation. This feels like the only time I can remember where there's a depiction of an attack on a shuttlecraft where the shuttlecraft is completely overmatched and destroyed instantly in a way that it should. (laughs) It should be destroyed instantly. Yeah. Like, I think every other instance where this happens, like, you got a fighting chance. In a shuttlecraft? No, you don't. Yeah, the Klingons treat the shuttle from the mosquito's perspective in that they squish the mosquito. The one aspect to the emergency transport that I don't quite get is like, Tendi's on this. She's like, she gets them transported away emergency style. But shouldn't emergency transport also include like the go bag and maybe a mini weapons locker or something? Yeah. To just go down there with nothing 
it's a bad situation because when they arrive, like they're just on a on a surface of a barely hospitable planet with a bunch of wharf lightning storms. Yeah. Mariner is very eager for the fray. They like hear voices off in the distance and she wants to establish herself as the new apex predator in town. This really freaks everybody else out. They're like, hey, let's like we just got here and this is dangerous. Can we not? This is that don't take her to a bar energy again. This yeah. is exactly that. Yeah. And what they find is a Romulan fighting a Ferengi and they're they're uh, fighting with spears, like kind of made out of sticks and twine and rocks kind of weapons. And uh, it turns out this was all a ruse so that they could trap this Klingon guy who's wearing like a skull on his head and a big cloak. Yeah, he's been down there a while. Yeah. He's really acclimated to the environment. Yeah. Ben, you're an Eagle Scout, right? Oh, yeah. I've got all the badges. I feel like you would be great in a I've got to attach a sharp stone to a stick situation. <laughs> do you think you could do that? Like, I don't think I could do this. I think I could figure it out. My stone would fall off. I've spent some time in the backcountry, but it's been a long time. So maybe my maybe my confidence is overblown. Maybe I wouldn't be that good. I think I would be great at digging a hole and sticking spikes in it. Yeah. I think I would be very bad at, at like designing and fashioning weapons. I don't think I would be any good at like raising a huge log up into the trees so that it could come down and smash a predator, you know. I think I would be great at uh, covering myself in mud. <laughs> you would be. Good so at that, that I don't show up <laughs> on predator radar. You'd be good at getting to the chopper. I would be. Yeah. Get to the chopper. Mariner arrives on scene to get in the middle of this conflict and gets her ass absolutely kicked for it. Yeah, she gets knocked against a tree. Just doesn't seem like the fight for her. I mean, she's like pretty capable in hand-to-hand -hand combat, but uh, this is not, not her day. So the betas come like drag her into the bushes. And uh, we smash cut back over to New Axton where the landing party comes in on a craft that looks very Star Wars-y. The planet itself looks very, like, you know, Moss Eisley-esque, I would say. They were told to take the moon shuttle. Yeah. And so they did. And uh, they go to Mud's Bar, which is uh, a, a great place to get info, like uh, like black market shady information. But it's hard to get into. Great drinks also. Yeah. Better drinks than that other spot. Yeah. I mean, that other spot looked like it had one of those cornmen, you know, working the sign out front. There was a corn man there, wasn't there? There was. Tin man. I thought they maybe should just have given up and gone to Cheesecake Factory. That's always worked pretty well for us. Hmm. Muds has a doorman. A doorman. <laughs> and uh, without a reservation, they're going to be shit out of luck. Once again, scary helmet dude can just waltz right in there. Yeah. That's because bounty hunters get priority seating. Bounty hunters have like the, you know, every place wants you to join their little club, their little membership club, get on the email list or whatever. Right. Scary helmet dude has the card for MUDS. Right. He's got the MUDS reserve credit card in his wallet. <laughs> yeah. They recently changed a, a bunch of their policies going forward. It's not clear uh, whether people will be going to the Muds family of restaurants in the coming years. Yeah. Hey, uh, Cheetos don't deserve Mexican Latinos. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. 
They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options, and uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? The Starfleets walk away. Some tripeds walk up, and they also get to get shown right into muds because uh, it's it's tripeds day. So jippers are half price. Do you think that promotion is because there's somebody that wants to fuck tripeds, right? Like like ladies' night, girls pay half price for drinks is to get a bunch of women in a bar so that single men will come to the bar and pay full price for drinks. More exciting for Benjamin R. Harrison. Three limbs or three boobs? <laughs> You're asking me if I'm a, bo- a three boobs man or a three legs man? <laughs> Are you a tripod or a or a, a tri-mammary? <laughs> um, You'll try anything once, won't you? I would try anything once. I, I guess neither of them leaps out at me as being particularly more exciting. I could see real big advantages and disadvantages in both cases. Where I see tripod being a huge disadvantage to a bar and restaurant situation is uh, the number of limbs seem to be associated with the amount of consumption that could happen. Uh-huh. I think if you're ever doing like an all-you-can-eat or all-you-can-drink situation, those tripeds are going <laughs> to eat you out of business. <laughs> you can't do a promotion based on how many limbs an alien has. 
Have you even thought of the different types of fixtures you're gonna have to install in every bathroom? They don't use the same toilets as pipe heads! You're gonna have to triple the hand dryers! <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, the members of Beta Shift are fighting all kinds of different guys, and uh, this planet is just like every type of, of Star Trek guy is down there. There's Cardassians, there's Romulans, there's Ferengi, there's Binars. All the folks from the cold opens this season. Right. So by the skin of their teeth, they make it to a tree. It's got kind of like a, an enclosure up the trunk. So they're going to be up off the forest floor and protected from the elements and uh, catch some sleep. And this really reminded me of that scene in Jurassic Park where they sleep in the tree and they like meet the Brachiosaurus and like look out over the, over the island. Wow. Nice pull. I was like, are they going to meet a Brachiosaurus? No. Instead, they see an opportunity. I'm sorry. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, Mariner's proposal of resting up is just a trick. Yeah. Because this allows her to get up in the night and then go off on her own. Because they see this beacon that can communicate with the satellite in orbit that they could use to make a distress signal. And uh, they're going to try for it in the morning. But yeah, it's all just a ruse so that Mariner can sneak out and get back to fist fighting everybody that she meets. And she gets the fight she's been spoiling for. Out in the night, she encounters a Klingon ready to go. And Mariner has fighting words herself. I'm not intimidated by some tore up Patak. And they throw down immediately. And a lot. Like this. This is a pretty heavy-duty fight scene that only gets interrupted by the broken glass storm that, yeah. that rains blades onto them. Great scene of sound design, I think. Glass storm! Yeah. Really sounds like what the label says it is, right? <laughs> it does. Yeah, they both get some flesh wounds for their trouble before they find a cave thingy to hunker down in. It's not really a cave. It's like a hollow rock, I guess. Oh, so this cave is good enough for Mariner? Huh. <laughs> good enough for you now. Yeah. I thought that this Klingon was really impressive how well he was fighting after having gotten, like, wood spikes impaled through his leg <laughs> earlier in the episode. I thought this Klingon, who we learn is named Ma'ach, was impressive in every kind of way. Oh, hi, Ma'ach. Oh, hey, Johnny, what's up? <laughs> I cannot fight Mariner. I can't. <laughs> this guy has that familiar cadence and vocabulary that like fits right in with a Wharf son of Moog, with a Kern, with like a very specific TNG era of Klingon. Totally. He's just a classic. He uh, declares that the planet has no honor and... They're like sitting there and like some time passes. There's there's a nice little dissolve edit of uh, two similar compositions. And he kind of strikes up a conversation. He's like, hey, I've noticed that you're not just in Starfleet. You're also a warrior. And Mariner kind of pushes back on this lightly. But they get to talking and Mariner tells a pretty surprising story in this scene. Let's talk a bit about what gets her to do this. Okay. Because I think we've both been in circumstances, like mostly on airplanes, where like someone chats you up and it is almost always not a welcome thing. But there's something about what Ma'ak does here that's really interesting. Like he gives an unsolicited observation mm -hmm. that is right immediately. Yeah. And like so often when a stranger chats you up about some bullshit, it's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but I think it's crucial in the texture of their relationship that he begins correct and he never stops being correct. Like he's so insightful yeah. the entire way that Mariner can only disclose what her dark secret is or, or what her big hangup has been the entire season. And it really, it gets me on Ma'ach's side Totally. For him to just be that right yeah. that often 
with a stranger. Well, yeah, and like she's a, a single woman, so strangers don't strike up conversations with her hardly ever, so. And when they do, these are conversations she doesn't want to have. <laughs> like she would put on her headphones were she to have them. So uh, she tells the story of Ensign Cito Jaxa, who you will remember was part of the first duty episode. She was in the squad that pulled the culvert starboard maneuver, but she she overcame the, that mistake in the academy and was stationed on the Enterprise. And Mariner was friends with her at the academy, and Ensign Cito Jaxa did great. She excelled and got stationed on the Enterprise, but then later was sent off to this senseless death. And that death really broke Mariner's spirit and made her not ever want to have any responsibility. She didn't want to be a Starfleet officer who was in the position of being a leader of soldiers. She doesn't want to be a general. She wants to explore the universe and be the kind of captain that you would hope a Starfleet captain would want to be i mean Cito was also one of the original lower deckers yeah she was the only one in the original lower decks episode of tng that we'd met before that's what i was getting at yeah so i think it's it's only right that her story is source material for this entire show for for a main character's entire backstory yeah i really liked it i really liked the way Ma'ach talks to her about it too because it that also really reminded me of a conversation that Worf has very early on with Wesley Crusher in TNG where he talks about how like the enemy that he fights every day is the thing that makes him you know not fit in like he talks about his own inner struggle it's like one of the scenes in season one that really stuck with me and I feel like that's kind of what Ma'ach is writing for. Like, you're sabotaging your career to, like, avoid ever having to send anyone to a senseless death. But Sido sacrificed herself so that people like you can have the kind of career that you actually want to have and not the kind that you have to have during wartime. I think the argument is only made effective because of what he says at the very end, which is... Cito wouldn't have wanted this for you and your life. Like, you think you're doing this to avoid Cito-like consequences, but like if if you were ever her friend, if you ever really loved her, you would also recognize that she would hate what you'd become as a result of her death. She wouldn't want this kind of life for you at all. And that seems to be like the final thing that tips Mariner over. Do you think Cito's friends with the koala now? Do all good ensigns go to koala? (laughs) (laughs) Or is she on the Black Mountain fighting her dad? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We may never know. The greatest trick. Ma'ach gives the pit back to Mariner. He's like, you still want to fight? I I think the storm's over. Let's go ahead and go. (laughs) And Mariner... Hugs this guy to death and uh, wins a different kind of fight. Yeah. They're allies, whether Ma'ach likes it or not. And uh, off they go to, uh, I guess, take over that uh, transmitter. Mm -hmm. Do you think Kern could have been saved with a hug instead of lobotomy? (laughs) It would take more than a hug to restore the honor that my brother took away from me. It is possible. However, (laughs) one must hug my head until my skull pops. (laughs) (laughs) Effectively lobotomizing me with a hug. Sending my frontal lobe to Stovokor. (laughs) Back at MUDS, there's a, a passage of time that's happened here. We only know it's been hours because they're finally granted entry. Their reservation is finally ready. I wish they were given the little vibrating chip. Like, uh, that technology should still exist, right? Yeah. They probably have that across the way, you know? I'm sure that corn man has has vibrating puck. As much as I hate the vibrating puck, I got to admit, 
It is very exciting when that thing goes off. Oh, man. It makes you happy every single time. Sprinting back to the California cheesecake. Uh Sprinting back to the California pizza kitchen (laughs) when that thing goes off. You know what? That should be a a new bonus episode piece of merch. The California cheesecake pizza cafe. Can I make a mistake and go back and correct it without you making a joke about... I, I let you make mistakes all the time and they get edited out. That's not true. You suck. <laughs> I'm making things funny. Oh, I yeah. That's, oh. A, that's a big part of oh, the show. Oh, it's so funny. We've never done a we should do that merch joke. I think that's a big part of our show. Mm. Mm. If anybody's wondering, Ben and Adam are fighting again. <laughs> You're fighting with no one, man. I'm a uh, I'm Mariner hugging my angry Klingon co-host. Mm. Remove yourself. Well, they meet one of those puppet aliens from Star Trek: The Original Series. He's the information broker at this bar. He seems real puppety. They start to suspect he's a puppet, and Freeman tries to like uncloak the puppet. Yeah, I mean because that was that was the Corbinite maneuver trick the whole time. You think there's going to be a Clint Howard somewhere puppet mastering this guy. It turns out when you make a puppet in Star Trek, you're not just like making up a puppet design. You're basing that puppet off of an actual alien. And this is that alien. Yeah, and it and it really moves like that. Yeah. Yeah, it and it also shoots sparks out of its shoulders. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah. It's got all sorts of internal organs. One of them's got to be the spark shooter. Fun moment when Freeman picks this guy up and and Rutherford is able to scan all his bones. Yeah. He can see right inside his body. Yeah. So he's very mad at being humiliated and thrashed around like this. So he's like, well, I'm going to sell this information about where Nick Locarno is, but not to you assholes. I'm selling it to that guy. And uh, the creepy bounty hunter guy comes in, gets the isolinear chip and walks out humiliating the Starfleet away team in the process. This is rule of three shit again, right? Yeah, no kidding. He gets one up on him for the third time. Smash cut back to Sherbel 5. That transmitter looks just like the shield emitter from Return of the Jedi. What is going on in this episode? Yeah, very familiar. So all of the different aliens that have been marooned on this planet are attacking each other and... Mariner like runs out and tries to call time out <laughs> and uh, the aliens turn and like start blaming her and uh, an Orion lady is about to run Mariner through with a spear when Tendi jumps out of the bushes. She was able to make it there just as fast as Mariner was, even though Mariner's been moving all night. Her royal identity gets them to stand down. Yeah. A lot of people with secret royal identities on the Cerritos between Tendi and Billups. Tendi and Billups should be an item. Yeah, except for Billups doesn't fuck, and Tendi's horny as hell. Unify that shit. Yeah. This frees Mariner up to give, like, the uh, halftime speech at a football game, (laughs) you know, to get everyone on the same page and maybe go out and, and dominate the second half of this episode. Nothing can stop us. And I love how all of the alien species agree in kind of their own cultural, their cultural specific ways. Like the Ferengi are on board, but the Romulans do not agree to join any kind of team. (laughs) The best they can do is just just sort of promise a ceasefire. Right. So as she is kind of getting them all whipped up into a captain's speech frenzy, she gets beamed off the planet. And they start freaking out. They're like, this was all just a ruse. Like, we've been we've been betrayed by Starfleet. And Ma'ach, who, you know, none of these people trusted before, is somehow able to persuade them that Mariner has honor and she would not betray them. She's been transported off planet not by her own doing. The last part of this episode moves really fast because we cut back to New Axton, where Freeman Scooby-Doo's the masked helmet guy into revealing that he's Billups, wearing a very sweaty, full-head helmet. Was the ship that Billups was piloting, like, in the shuttle bay of the of the Cerritos? Do they just have a sketchy ship that they can use when they need to do this kind of shit? I think if you remember that moment where the ship is seen, the Cerritos is shot very close. Yeah. 
Like it really fills the frame in such a way where you could imagine that this ship does come from the Cerritos. Yeah, I guess it did. Because, uh, yeah, Billups tricked all of these people. Freeman used their their biases against them. And uh, I, I like that Shax and Rutherford were not read in on the on the subterfuge. <laughs> like, <laughs> it seems a little, a little unfair to them. Like, it, it basically means Freeman doesn't think that they're good enough actors to sell the disappointment of uh, all of these different interactions. The episode does a thing to really front load the reason for this, though, like the constant anti-Starfleet sentiments given throughout uh, the episode really make it a pretty clean plan by Freeman in in sort of aikidoing this sentiment into like using this bias against them in order to prefer the scary motorcycle helmet guy. I mean, I just preferred scary motorcycle helmet guy personally because he looked so cool. He's like, man, that guy must be cool. He has a cool motorcycle helmet. Yeah. So we cut back to Sherbel 5 and we're in orbit and it is the Klingon bird of prey and the tilt ship right next to each other. And the tilt ship like turns and leaves. It made me wonder if that ship is working with the bird of prey or you know, running the bird of prey or was the bird of prey somehow not aware it was there? Something weird about that little moment. Like it's just presented as like eh, normal as hell that these two ships would be right next to each other. I mean, so normal was it that I just assumed that was the situation that there was a professional relationship between the two. But the, the people on the bird of prey never talk about it. What they do talk about is like, Oh, like there's the transmitter that's sending, sending up the beacon. We got to go, destroy that so they fly down they have to get really close to it in the valley that it's in because of the high cliffs surrounding the transmitter and this enables all of the stranded aliens to jump off of the edge of a cliff onto the back of the bird of prey and they follow Ma'ach into the ship they like peel back plating and uh, go inside and take over the ship (laughs) The scene where Ma'ach kills the captain of the bird of prey is so gruesome. Because he does it with his mouth primarily. Yeah. A lot of Pepto-Bismol coming out of Ma'ach's mouth. That scene where they jump onto the back of the bird of prey has got real jumping off of an overpass onto a passing semi-truck kind of energy, right? Totally. (laughs) So meanwhile, Freeman and Billups and Shaxx and Rutherford are in this like sort of abandoned looking hangar where they were told Nick Locarno would be. And they do not find Nick Locarno, but they do find plans for the tilt ship. And we smash cut to Mariner waking up in a strange bedroom that she does not recognize and prying open a door. And there is Nick Locarno, somebody she knows on a first name basis, which makes sense if she was friends with Cito. Welcome back, B-Dunks, to Lower Decks. Yeah, he says that they're going to go cause some trouble. What kind of trouble? We're going to have to find out a little later. Did you like this episode, Ben? I did like this episode. I sort of was a little distracted all the way through wondering what mean with all of the very obvious visual references to other sci-fi franchises i didn't have a problem with them but they they just seemed so many and so vividly specific that it was hard to it was hard to watch them without wondering if if this episode was trying to say something about aliens and star wars and jurassic park while also you know telling a funny story Mm -hmm. and uh if it was i totally fucking missed it like it did not resolve in my mind as a specific message but um it might just be an homage to all those things yeah but like that much homage all the way through just felt like a lot of and uh a lot more than even this show normally does so how tempting must it be like if you were the the showrunner of lower decks to like go in as many of those visual directions as you want because it's budget neutral to just like 
it's the same amount of drawing to right. draw a Star Wars type of scenario as it is a Star Trek one. Like, I think it really allows a lot of interesting creative visual decisions like that. Yeah, I'm into it. But also, like, Star Trek is such a rich universe at this point. I was just thinking about, like, when they toss off the joke about jippers are half price for tripods. That's like a deep cut joke from, I think, a short treks set in the Discovery universe. Like, mm -hmm. it might have been a mainline Discovery episode, but I'm pretty sure it was a short treks where Harry Mudd says the thing about sipping on jippers on a beach. Mm -hmm. Like, I think about that all the time. I, I thought that was like an amazing sentence construction and... And I want to drink a jipper. I want to. I want to drink with Harry Mud. You know. Yeah. I mean, he seems like an asshole, but a good hang. Right. And um, if you can put a a little reference like that in, I think that the the world is big enough that you don't have to do these homages. So if you're doing them, I would think you would want to justify it or or be making a larger point in some way. And um, maybe my brain is. Uh, just just not latching on to whatever that is yet maybe it maybe it's something that will only be revealed in episode 10 of this season and that seems more likely to me now because i think one of the things that i was kind of struggling with all season was how disconnected the episodes had felt and how the tilt ship uh taking out other species ships at the beginning or ends of of other episodes felt kind of bolted on and like it didn't have anything to do with the episodes we were watching. But this episode really felt like it landed the plane on a bunch of different truths we've learned about the characters in the in the series this season. And I really admired it for that. And I think it, like there's going to be something interesting to watch for in episode 10 about how this all will like sort of get pointed at lower deckers because it seems like all of the captains of all of these starships blame their inferiors for having betrayed them. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes of all that. It's a very lower decks specific season arc, I guess. How about you? Yeah, I'm with you in in how satisfying it feels to have many of these questions resolved. I think it's interesting that so many of them have been resolved before the final episode. I think my main takeaway from this one is having to do with Mariner, though. Mariner's a character that I have really liked up until maybe this moment. And I really do not understand the order of operations here when it comes to her disclosure I feel for her, and I think we're supposed to feel for her, her reasons for acting the way that she does, but she's put the lives of her friends in danger over and over and over again so many times in so many ways that any other crew person would have been thrown into the brig for far less. And I get that she's sad about her dead friend, but I might have rather known this truth earlier in the season than to sort of make the explanation after the fact because it made me dislike her for many episodes doing some bullshit that that could have gotten people killed and and keeping shit from her friends like it's it's a terrible look for mariner and it's great that she was able to disclose this to ma'ach but her friends still don't know this and maybe she will tell them in the next episode, but... Maybe she'll share her pain and grow stronger from the sharing. <laughs> I don't think that forgives her actions, and I hope that her character isn't poisoned by them, because, like, her character's supposed to be fun. The sort of fun that, that gets, it, like, like, that goes right up to the edge without going over, and this entire season was about her going over the edge episode after episode. Yeah. And it made her less fun as a character to me. So that's where I'm at with it. The show's supposed to be about fun, right? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> Let's see if there's anything fun in the Priority One message inbox, Ben. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Our first one's a personal message. It's from We Who Are His Wives, and it is to Ben. Mm. You as our husband. Hmm. Is it me? Oh, 
Now, I don't have two wives. Or more, more many. I mean, not that you're willing to say on the show. Mm. Message goes like this. Mzadi, happy anniversary. We love you. You are the Riker of consent, the card of communication, and O'Brien of patience, or is it maintenance? Anyway, <laughs> congratulations on the Horgon working on that FOD. Whoa. Welcome to the family, Casey. Love is infinite, just like our Thursday treks through the stars. Wow. Okay. There's a clarifying statement here in the notes column that says this. No, he's not a Mormon. He's just more man than most. Okay, so this is definitely not about me. (laughs) I am less man than most. And maybe a little Mormon. It sounds like they who are his wives are having a great time with Ben, though. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to know this, Ben. Sounds cool as hell. Yeah, he probably doesn't stumble over his words and provide delightful opportunities for comedy. Yeah, he knows what it's about. The comedy, not the being right. Does he, though? This next one's from Past Scott, and it's to Future Scott, and it goes like this. You did it! You went to the STL live show and even got to meet Ben and Adam. Your friends Mark and Amber are now FODs for life, despite having never heard of the podcast before. They are definitely not mad or disappointed in any way. So bask in that post-show refractory period with a tasty Chris Brenner drop. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. (laughs) We got to come up with a term for the folks that people bring to a live show. Never having heard us. Yeah. Never having watched anything Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Those unlucky few. It's a small portion of every audience that we perform in front of. We should call them the exes. Yeah. Because they're going to be ex-wives or ex-friends or ex-husbands. The staff are always, like, super nice and, you know, they'll always be like, hey, like, I don't know anything about Star Trek, but that was really funny. You guys are great. But... They got to say that. They got to say that. Yeah. That's kind of like no bits on tips like that's just good like professional relationship maintenance mm-hmm. whereas uh yeah like the the sig uds and the and the homies that come because <laughs> their friends drag them along they're not burdened by that kind of pressure you know here's what i want to say to the fods out there and uh you know i hope this doesn't cripple us in terms of uh, ticket sales. Mm. Come alone to a live show. (laughs) I go to comedy all the time alone. I go to movies all the time alone. You can go alone and have a great time. Don't let the need for for company stop you from from doing fun things. That's what I'm saying. But also bring lots of people. Look. Don't listen to Adam. Buy four tickets. Come alone. I think that on balance we win more people over than we drive away. At our live shows. I think that they like our live shows. Hope so. It's very optimistic. As optimistic as the Priority One message writers, you can consider yourself among them by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where the things that you write can come out of our mouths pretty soon. So get on it. Helps out the show. Great deal. It does. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be Mariner for the the reason cited in uh, the last segment. I I was about to say that she deserves to die like Edward Larkin, Mm. but that's a big statement that I don't believe. Like, did Edward deserve it? (laughs) I like Mariner enough to keep her on the show, but man, you really painted this character into a corner this season. By making her like this. She only got lucky. No one was killed. You know what you got to do with Mariner? Shut her down! (laughs) (laughs) Now wait, Ben, I got to show you this before before I ask you. I got to show you this thing I got from Taffer's Tavern. I'm showing the friends of DeSoto at home. The shut it down button. Oh boy. You want to know what it sounds like? Shut it down! (laughs) Jesus. Use the company credit card for that one. Oh, good, good. So glad. What about you, Ben? The Romulan captain, you know, it's like 
we t- occasionally talk about face acting like the when you when you don't have a line but you've got to get something across mm-hmm. and uh, i thought the animators achieved something really great with this romulan captain when mariner is her, doing her big grand eloquent speech at the end and she says something about like how else are we going to get revenge and you see his resolve to hate her kind of fail in that moment. Like he's like, oh yeah, I do really want to get revenge on whoever did this to us. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like a very subtle moment, but uh, I just, I really liked it. It, it, uh, it really stood out to me as a really nicely done bit of animation. So uh, good job by the folks at Titmouse for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone in, in keeping with their priorities. Big group of folks. Kind of hard to wrangle them. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's like herding cats trying to get a bunch of humanoids to do something. Finally, Ben, we've got to read a warning, Bois. It's the hit segment, the end of an episode of Greatest Trek. Should we change the name to Danger Bois now that we have this new drop? Should we change it to Danger Satellite? <laughs> hard to know. I mean, up to you. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning, boys. An emergency buoy. A warning boy. Warning boys are an important part of getting the word out about our show because they do two things. One, invite our kind of people into becoming FODs. And also, telling people who wouldn't be cool with our show, maybe you should uh, go listen to something else. Yeah. Be chill. <laughs> Here's a warning boy that comes in the form of a Apple podcast review for Greatest Trek. Now, I know FODs listen to their podcasts on all kinds of podcatchers. For, I'm not here to say one is better than the other, but I will say the reviews on Apple Podcasts are meaningful algorithmically. Yeah, so if you've got an Apple device, leave one for us. It'd be really nice, and maybe you'll, you'll hear us talk about it here on this segment. So here's a Apple Podcast review for Greatest Trek. It's five stars. Thank you for those. Headline, The Greatest Pod. Body text goes like this. I've been listening to this and Greatest Gen for years. Best Star Trek podcasters out there. I never cease to be entertained. The details in the production are top-notch. Fire emoji. Fire emoji. Yeah, baby. This is from Mike W. via Apple Podcasts. I love this one because it also shouts out the production. An element of this show we really give a lot of thought to. A lot of thought and effort. Thank you so much, Mike W. That was very, very kind of you to say. Well, that's just about it for the show today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, Can't wait for that big finale coming up next week. If we get any information about it, you'll hear about it in the credits. Take it away, Wendy. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We didn't get any extra information about the next episode yet, but Ben and Adam will be back next Friday to talk about the season four finale of Lower Decks. At the end of every episode, we want to thank all the great people who helped make the show possible, especially the MaxFun members who get access to the entire catalog of MaxFun bonus content, plus new bonus episodes coming out every month. You can set up a membership at MaximumFun.org slash join, and we really appreciate it. Thanks to Adam Ragusea, who composed all of the original music for this show. You can check out his YouTube cooking channel and podcast by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Ditmore for creating the show art, and a big thanks to Bill Tilly for managing all of the at Greatest Trek social media pages, which you can find and follow online. You can also join FOD Run communities on Reddit at r slash greatestgen and on Discord at drunkshimoda.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Maximum fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.